Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Today, we're going to be looking back at the 2015 NHL Draft. Uh, we did do our draft preview with Chris Litza, and he's joining us again today to look back at uh, how we did in our predictions uh, and what we think about some of the some of the teams and their moves that they made. Um, this is Mark Warner. I'm your host, along with the, always the Buffalo Kid, Tom. Good day to you, sir. Good day, sir. Yeah, it's exciting to have Chris back, and uh, hopefully, you know, keep it keep this thing rolling here with Chris. Absolutely. He's uh, hopefully he's got enough time. He's uh, he's uh, covers the New York Islanders for thehockeywriters.com, and he also does a blog about the league and with a New York hockey flavor at getrealhockey.com, which uh, we write for getrealhockey.com as well. So we'll f- throw a plug their way. Uh, go check out Chris at either of those two sites. Uh, but for now, let's bring him on in. Chris Lietza, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, a, lot, a lot of moves since we last spoke. Yeah, it's, uh, oh. I, I really – we were having a, a talk before the draft uh, with Tom Tom and myself, and I, I just threw the question out there. What what do you look forward to most, the trade deadline or the, the week of draft and free agency? And Tom, Tom said, well, you know, draft – the draft is the draft. After you get past the first couple rounds, you know the a lot of obscure players there that, unless you're really hardcore, yeah, a lot of people don't know who they are. And there's really not much, not much player movement around this time of year as as a as a rule, you know. Um, but the trade deadline, you're in the, you're in the midst of it, and and who's buying, who's selling, kind of a thing. And then in uh, on July first, I counted them up: seventy two players signed new contracts. And adding the t- 10 or 12, and I, it, I mean, it's still going on this morning. Um, we're almost not even counting the draft and the moves that were made before July 1st. We're over 90 players uh, with new deals. And I, from what I'm just looking at, at least 65 of them have actually changed teams. And they're not all, you know, fourth liner, AHL, two-way deals. We've obviously seen... Some very important pieces move move sides here. You go Lucic. You could talk Kessel. Uh, on and on and on. So we're going to get into that today. Uh, but first, we want to look back at the at least take a look at the first round of the draft and leading up to it. There were a couple teams that made made a few significant. I mean, almost overhauls of their rosters. Um, one of them, the Boston Bruins, had a had the collective hockey world scratching their head. Um, kind of wondering what the new regime was going to do and had done afterwards. I know, I know, Bruin Nation kind of blew up on Twitter. It was a almost suicide watch for the Spoke B there, um, sure. with uh, prized. I mean, the Soderbergh deal out the window to Colorado. That was his rights for a seventh. But let's. Uh, what did you think of the Dougie Hamilton deal to Calgary, Chris? Well, obviously, from what I read. The Bruins, you know, touched uh, with talking with Hamilton and his agents on getting a long-term deal done. They, we talked about it before the draft. They were up against the cap. We didn't think he'd be traded simply because he was just too young, too good of a player, too much upside. But I guess on those talks from what you read, 
did not go too well. Um, you know, believe it or not, for both, uh, even uh, uh, in sports where there's so much money between ownership and players, just like in the, the working steps, everyone wants to hear, you know, I want to work here the rest of my life. I'm on a company standpoint, and everyone wants to hear from a player-employee standpoint, this is where I want to stay. And apparently Hamilton didn't say that. He didn't say, well, you know, I want to be a Bruin for life, or I, want to, I see myself here the next 10 years. They investigated a trade. Uh, I would like to think they would have gotten a lot more than that. Uh, you know, it is a great draft. Obviously, I have to assume their scouts were telling the GM those are great, great picks. You know, they got Calgary. They got the 15th overall, the 45th and 52nd. You know, if they just put, if they sent an email to all the 29 teams and saying, Dougie Hamilton is getting traded before the uh, draft starts. Send me your best offers. Uh, one would think they might have done better. But it's a tremendous trade for Calgary. Uh, they already locked them up for the next six years. Uh, at a, you know, in this day and age, a reasonable number for the next six years. They could be 5.75. I guess the only problem that they have is their other defenseman, who they are trying to lock up, who's a year away, um, Giordano, I believe. And uh, those talks haven't gone too well. He he floated out. I heard a nine million dollar number, but that's wow. Talk for another day. Yeah. Wow. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I was a bit surprised by that. Again, I value the picks that they got. Um, time will tell how they'll work out. We'll get into that when we uh, break down the draft a bit. Uh, but you know, kind of a one eighty on that. I think the Lucic trade. They actually got more than for Dougie Hamilton, which is kind of a head-scratcher considering, you know, Lucic is a, you know, an older player. Not old, but, a, you know. 27 years is, old. Is, That's uh, just getting yeah, into his so, prime. Oh, okay. He's a little bit younger than I thought. Yeah, he's 27. Uh, he's a year away from, yeah, he's a year away from unrestricted free agency. They were able to get the Kings' first-round pick. his 13th overall. And in this draft, that was, you know, you were going to get a heck of a prospect, to say the least. And Martin Jones, which they flipped to the Sharks for the Sharks' first-round pick next year, and and that could wind up being a, a really high pick. It could be. I think uh, it will. So I, th- I think they did a tremendous job on the Lucic trade. So I think so that's too. Kind of how I saw those two moves. And they also got caught. They're taking as they they're taking philosophy of they probably feel like they're not as good, uh, ready to contend with the Tampa's of the world. So they said, well, let's get our cap problems fixed. Let's take one step back to move three steps forward. I'm, I'm guessing that's their strategy. Well, they also picked up uh, defense prospect Colin Miller, who uh, won the the fastest skater and the hardest shot in the AHL All-Star game last year. Um, kind of a... Yeah, re- he, was ranked, he was ranked by Hockey Futures as their seventh best prospect in the King system. So I would call him uh, an excellent second prospect again with prospects you know sometimes those secondary prospects turn out to be great and the prime prospects are role players or vice versa so um but yeah they did uh, that's a good piece well to get that's great. a good piece to get but uh yeah that's a third piece yeah that's a good piece to get. absolutely um i think a lot of that had to do and i was talking with tom earlier in the week too and I said, well, if you're going to get rid of Colin, Colin Miller, we had been talking about the holes on the on the Kings blue line depth and losing Robin Regeer, Voinoff situation, uncertain, and Andre Sakara not probably able to be signed because of cap reasons. 
that Colin Miller, uh, I was listening to an interview with uh, the Manchester Monarchs coach, and he he pretty much said Colin Miller's NHL ready, and with what's going on in Los Angeles, expect to see him in the big club next year. Um, so to move him kind of foreshadowed what happened Thursday with uh, Voinov striking his plea agreement for the misdemeanor. And I kind of I kind of told Tommy, I said, well, if, if they're going to move Colin Miller, there's a real good chance that uh, they know something about Voinov and a plea deal uh, before his trial starts. And that actually did happen. So uh, that's, I think, and I, 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 we had talked earlier in the week too, Chris, and I, I was on record as saying not a good move for the Kings. But you know what? If they're if they're going to do a win-now situation and uh, Foynoff sticks around and he recovers from his Achilles Achilles surgery December, January, and they go for another cup run, then you know what? Martin Jones is a piece. Colin Miller is a piece. Draft pick is a piece. Uh, Luchas absolutely can fit in great right next to Kopitar and Gabrick. And it, if it's a win now move and it, and it, they pull it off, then I'm all for it. Uh, clearing the Mike Richards cap space out the way they did this week, although that's sure to be arbitrated, um, that gives you a, a chance to re-sign him and Kopitar at the end of the season. So if uh, Dean Lombardo Dean Lombardi pulls that off, uh, good deal for LA too, I would think. Yeah, I think for for looking at in terms of just next year, I think Lucha, especially since uh, the Bruins are paying, I believe, two point seven million of his six million dollars salary. So Lucic is not only just coming in to join the Kings, he's coming in at a three point three number, which uh, is which great. Is That's phenomenal. Tremendous. Yeah. yeah. So I I so just looking at from the twenty fifteen sixteen Kings perspective. It's a tremendous move. Yeah. Because none of those players, I don't think, would, I shouldn't say, I don't think they would make the impact anywhere near Lucic will. And I, I think he'll fit in perfectly with the Kings. So, short term, I think it's a home run for the Kings. Yeah. Long term, we'll have to see. Yeah, Tom, Tommy Tommy talked me into that. I was, I was had my general manager cap on. I'm like, oh, we had NHL ready defensemen, backup goalie, reasonable cap hit. And I was like, you know what? Uh, first and foremost, I'm a hockey fan. And if uh, you know if that if that slots our top six to be Luchitz, Kopitar, Gabrick, Pearson, Carter, Toffoli, um, I think that matches up pretty good with just about any team in the league. Uh, so if they get their defense straightened out, uh, they got some pieces that's still around. McNabb and, and Jeff Schultz actually has his name on the Stanley Cup from two years ago and the Calder Cup from this year. Um, so he's going to step in. McNabb's going to step in. Uh, Voinov comes back after his, after he does his time and takes care of his business. Um, I look for the Kings to be heavy contenders next year with that roster. Uh, let's move on a little bit. Let's move on and pick up Buffalo. That was the other team that uh, had an interesting couple days leading into the draft. Uh, they they did get their backup goalie, uh, Robin Lehner and David Laguan. Uh, pick them up for the 21st overall pick. What do you think of that, Tom? Yeah, no, I, I think you and I were talking. Uh, I, I think it's the perfect move. Swedish goalie, ready to go. And I think I told you it was, you know, we paid we paid the high price because he's ready to go. 23 years old, he paid his dues, he paid his time, got a little NHL experience, and I don't think that's a bad move at all. 
he's going to be the number one starter. Um, Chris, what do you think about that? Um, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach. I yeah. think they gave up. Now, in fairness to Buffalo, they have a lot of young forwards, both on the team now and coming. So, they, they you know, the pick at 21 would have probably been who Ottawa took in Colin White or Travis Konecki. Um And so Buffalo has – they have a lot of young forwards. So, they, you know, in essence, that pick, they dealt from depth. Uh, Leonard is – very talented. Like you said, he's 23. He will see if he can develop into being a you know, number one netminder for a team. There's a lot of reasons to think he will. Um, but at the same token, I'm not ready to write his name down in ink uh, saying that. And right. He, had a, he did have that con- scary concussion situation, which I'm sure the Sabres uh, you know, checked all the medical reports and felt comfortable enough that that will not be a lingering problem, but with concussions uh, in hockey or any sport, it's always a scary thing. So, you know, I, on paper, I can, you know, let's see, two years from now, I think we'll we'll really see how this deal works out. Uh, I can see it being uh, an excellent deal for the Sabres. But, you know, that's, that's what happens to trades. Not everything is a guaranteed slam dunk. So I think it was a good trade before. I think for Ottawa's perspective, they, they did really well. And I think Leguan will help. Buffalo this year uh, mentor some of the young players as well, especially the young forwards. I've always liked the way he plays hockey, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure they can find a, a spot for him somewhere in there. Now, the, other thing, the other thing we talked yeah. about on that trade is the connection between the Murrays there. And they didn't go into this, this deal blind, Chris. They uh, uh, Tim Murray, with his time... Uh, in Ottawa and talking, you know, Brian Murray. They, I'm sure. I'm sure he didn't go in eyes closed and uneducated on the the status of the the concussion or the the injuries or whatever. And you know, you know, yeah, right, you know, right where he was, Tom. Yeah, I think Tim Murray. You know, he probably scoured them. He knows them. He probably talked to them. See where he's at. And that by every report, I'm sure you guys read too. Is you know, he's working out, and he's, the concussion problems seem to be cured, we think, and uh, he should be ready, you know. Yep, and then... But the uh, other trade... Yeah, there you go. Since we're out of here real quick, uh, <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly, what, uh, what do you guys think about that? And Jamie McGinn. Yes, sir. Um, I don't know. You tell us. You're the Buffalo kid here. You uh, give up a pretty big piece in Nikita Zadorov. Um, we, we obviously we talked about it. Uh, Greg Aranko probably not going to fit in there in Buffalo. Uh, JT Comfer and the thirty-first overall pick to the Avalanche. Um, JT Comfer might be the sleeper in that trade, but uh, and the thirty-first overall pick—that's that's a lot. That's a lot to give. What do you think about it, Tom? Yeah, I, I think the one thing we're talking about, you know, now that O'Reilly's going to sign a huge deal, and uh, like Chris was saying. Um, definitely probably overpaid, and Zadorov is going to be a beast. You guys are going to, you know, LA Kings are going to see him first, right up to six four, six five defenseman. Mm. They can lay the hammer now. He's kind of like a Casperitis, but bigger and faster. Is he going to be a headman? And, uh, is he going to be a Victor Headman? Uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's going to be really good. Okay. I, like, like Chris said, though, time will tell. And uh, what do you think about that, Chris? 
Yeah, I, I think they gave up a lot to get him. Um, uh, I look at it really the three pieces, the uh, Comper, the pros- good prospects. But again, Buffalo can afford to trade good prospects. They're very deep. Hockey Futures ranked them as the uh, uh, recently as the sixth best farm system slash pipeline in the sport. So they can trade a guy like that, no problem. 31st pick, after trading the 21st pick, obviously um, that is a you know a really good uh, uh, pick right there, the first pick of the second round, and then Zidaro. So, you know, put them in a position where they they had to, they're going to have to resign him, which sounds like it's happening to, uh, happening today. So Absolutely. Steep, it was a steep price, but to get a good player like that, that's what it takes. I mean, if they could get him for not such a crazy contract, you would like to deal more. That's where that's where the league is going in, in terms of the player contract. I mean, that's a podcast on itself. Yeah. But, and but yeah, the Sabres, yeah. Got, the Sabres got better. So that's what the Buffalo fans should, uh, should focus on. They got a 24-year-old guy who's going to be there the next season for this year and then seven more deal seven years. Top six forward, a minimum two-way player. Uh, they should be thrilled with that. And since we're uh, passing the puck around L.A. to Buffalo, let me let me pass the puck over to the aisle. And um, I know Mark and I were excited. The Islanders um, locked up Thomas Hickey. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've been talking about for a decade. <laughs> yep. And um, <laughs> what, what do you think about the Griffin Reinhardt trade? Another defenseman, fourth pick overall in his draft. What do you, what do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I, a couple weeks ago, or ten days ago, I wrote a big story on the Islanders on Garth Snow's draft history. Simply because I'm like, well, let me write this article because unlike the other writers, at the hockey writers on the teams they cover, they're going to have a pretty in-depth article on their team's draft. Like, oh, you know, the Islanders not having a first or second round pick. You know, maybe I'll write a little article, but it's not going to be it's not going to have much pizzazz in it. You know, best laid plans, I guess. So, uh, uh, you know, I was on the computer and watching the draft at the same time, and before Gary Bettman strolled up to announce the trade, I see on Twitter, uh, Arthur Staple of Newsday tweet the Islanders just traded for the 16th pick from Edmonton. And before, while I was trying to figure out what, what they're giving up, and then Bettman announced they got the 16th and the 33rd, my media thought was they traded Kyle Poso to Edmonton. But that one yeah. announced was Griffin Reinhardt. Um, I thought it was a great trade for the Islanders and Edmonton. Edmonton's been trying to get Griffin Reinhardt from the Islanders since they literally drafted him. Well, is that right? Oh, yeah. He played his junior hockey for Edmonton. I believe, if memory serves is correct, he won a Memorial Cup uh, with the Edmonton Junior franchise. The Oil Kings? Very well thought of up there. He's a top prospect in hockey. But the truth, truth of the matter, from reading the uh, different things over here, uh, the Islanders have two other uh, top defensive prospects, and they feel both of them have passed Reinhardt, and Ryan Pulak and Scott Mayfield. And yeah. the Islanders already have locked up Nick Letty, Travis Hammond, Johnny Boychuk. They feel over in the short, in the near term, Ryan Pulak will slide in as that second pairing defenseman. So they were looking at Griffin Reinhardt as a third-carrying defense uh, for them, yeah. I think, or not. So I think what happened was uh, they were not on a mandate to trade Griffin Reinhardt at the draft, but 
they did their due diligence. They loved this draft. There were certain players that they loved. And uh, I think Edmonton was the perfect dra- uh, dance partner. And I think they spoke to them and said, look, you know, if one of these, ki- one of these players is there at 16, you know, would you do this? And one of them was. Uh, the Islanders say that if Matthew Barzell was not on the board, which was hard to believe that he was, uh, yeah, uh, that, that they would not have made this trade. So, you know, the Islanders are still very deep. In, uh, they were actually ranked by Hockey Futures as the second-best farm system before this draft. Uh, they're still very deep, even trading away Reinhardt on young defensemen, both on the main roster and down below. And now they added two more top forward prospects to go with the two top kids they drafted in the first round last year. So I think it was a heck of a move. It was, you know, reallocating assets, if you will. I think Griffin Reinhardt will be a real solid defenseman. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. And the Islanders are at a point in their development, knock on wood, that they're ready. You know, they're a 100-point team from last year. They want to win rounds in the playoffs. And nothing against Griffin Reinhardt, but they, they're in a position now where they can't have guys, you know, learning their craft for a couple of years at the NHL level. They're not at that time and place anymore. Sure, absolutely. So, I agree, yeah. So yeah Islanders so, are locked and loaded. Yeah, so and landing two players that they loved, uh, you know, granted they probably both won't see them won't see them in Long Island for a couple of years or so, but, you know, the cupboard has uh, got even more full. So I think everyone should be happy with this trade. Go ahead, go, let, let me go back a little bit because with Ryan O'Reilly and uh, that Jack Eichel guy uh, who did sign his three-year entry-level deal, he won't be returning to school. Um, you do have number two overall pick in the 2014 draft with Sam Reinhardt, at, uh, also a centerman. Um, I was just wondering what Tom thinks about his depth chart there and can any one of those three slot in as a third-line center or is one of them moving to wing? The, that's the early early question. Is the, I think the whole thing rides on is Reinhardt ready, and it, and it may that, that's all going to that's all going to piece everything together. If Reinhardt's ready, then the early report is Gergensen's will slot to wing. But if Reinhardt isn't ready, then Gergensen's will remain on the third line center. Which isn't a bad look by any means. No, not at all. But is is Reinhardt projected as a, you know, your third line center? You're kind of you're kind of thinking face offs, two way, maybe get on on the penalty kill time, more of a two way player than say an Eichel or or a Riley. Um, is Reinhardt going to be comfortable on a third line situation? Yeah, but you know, being the second pick overall, probably not. But you know, if it, it, if there's even questions that he's not going to be, he might have to do some dirt in the uh, AHL and work that body up in uh, strength. But it's, all, it's a great question, and I think it all it all rides on him. I mean, this guy's locked and loaded, and, and put some muscle on and some weight. It might be it might be a great third line, like um, Sabers of uh, what was that? Oh five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. Where they're they're rolling four lines and smoking teams eight eight to two. Yeah, you know it could be that kind of luck. You remember that? I, I do. Line, sir. The third line was Roy Pominville and Vanek, and uh, no team had an answer for that. Pre- President's Trophy too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, 
Uh, Reinhardt's only 19, so if he starts with the Sabres next year on the third line, easing him in, it's not a bad, bad, bad way to start his career. Oh, absolutely you know? not. I mean, there's no reason why we have to... I'm not saying we have to baby him, but, you know, let us get him... Let us get his, let him get his feet wet in the NHL for, you know, months, six weeks, and, you know, then get him in the top six and figure it out from there. You know, you, you used Absolutely, to be, you used yeah. to you used to say uh, let him get his bell rung a couple times, but I, I don't think we're allowed to say that anymore. Uh, so yeah, get, right. get 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 his feet wet, get the get the wet behind the ears dried up, and uh, now it's a good problem to have depth depth down the middle. Won the Kings two two Stanley Cups here recently. I think that's a, uh, I think so. that's a key. Yeah, for for every team, depth down the middle is huge, right? I mean, you ain't winning if you don't have that. Absolutely, and then your fourth line center was that. Uh, Gianta take that, or where does that yeah, go? Yeah, there's a question on that. Gianta might be moving to the wing too. So you got um, some work to do on your lines. You got some work to do there in training camp. See where everybody slots in. But for the first time in a while, that's a good problem for the Sabers to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be exciting. So let's want to uh, move, move to the draft here. Yeah, let's uh, let's go back. Uh, we had done our draft our draft preview there with. Uh, with Chris and and hey, Chris was spot on. Huh? Chris, Chris nailed it uh, quite well. One one pick uh, slotted out of the way. <laughs> he could have been he could have been eleven for eleven coming coming into the twelfth pick. Um, yeah, what, the, devil, the devil screwed up my mock. Yeah, they did. They did go with the young winger. If uh, if they had gone with with yeah, Provorov, they, they, uh, they didn't listen. They didn't listen to me. No, I don't know. I don't know if they'll regret, but I, you know. Well, they, you know, some people think they they got Zaka there, right? Is that is that? Let me. Yes, they got Pablo Zaka. Okay, that's right. That's what I was thinking. So they, you know, we had talked that they did really target youthful forwards in the, the draft and even with the uber talented Provorov on the board for him they stuck true with what they what they needed and what they said they would do uh Pavel Zaka there's there's a couple other forwards there but you know uh high, high one of the higher ranked uh higher ranked skaters out there uh, number eight overall in the central scouting before the draft started and you know they got him at six so not really a stretch but other than that uh, then we saw the two defensemen go back to back, Provorov and Wierenski, um moving moving down the list. I want to the team the one I didn't like Dallas's pick there at number twelve, uh, Denny Guryanov. I think that was a stretch with some some really good players still on the board. North American skaters. Guryanov was. Uh, the seventh overall European ranked skater, and unless they unless they went in really targeting a right winger, maybe hoping Timo Meyer would would fall to him, um, you could trade down and get Denis Gurionov a little bit later than where they took him. Didn't like that pick. Um, what 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 struck out to you? Say in the first, you know, we did our we did our preview show on on the lottery teams. What struck out with you, Chris, on the the first first fourteen picks? Well, I thought it was very wise that Arizona stayed at three and took Dylan Strome. They, I mean, they did this due diligence. They literally spoke to, it feels like, every team in the league. Uh, but at the end of the day, they realized smartly, in my opinion, that they saw the difference between, and nothing against them, very high on the forwards between, uh, went between six and actually all the way up to 16. Um, 
but they saw the difference between Dylan Strom and them. So I thought that was a that was a smart move. I thought Philly, if I was a Flyer fan, which I am not, uh, <laughs> if you're a Flyer fan out there, you have to be doing handstands. The land, yeah. Prokhorov and Travis Konecki, while all you had to do was give up the 61st pick, although in this draft that was worth, that's worth something. Uh, you got to be you got to be doing, like I said, you have to be doing handstands. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, Travis. You had Travis going to the Kings at 13 overall to see that he was still on the board uh, at 24th where Philadelphia picked. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good draft for Philly, those two players. Uh, and I heard it's 50-50 that Provorov makes the Flyers, that they feel, I mean, that's not even a rush situation, that they feel like it's a coin flip, that he's ready. Worst-case scenario, he's a year away. I mean, I'm kind of with Craig Button on this, who was on um, the draft coverage just, you know, waxing poetically about him. He basically feels he's a number one defenseman. So um, I thought that was good. I felt vindicated uh, And Lawson Krause went to Florida at 11. Yeah, so that's awesome. That was a good call. Good call. <laughs> that I was dropping him, uh, dropping him a bit. Um, you know, then we get to the Boston situation. Um, you know, again, I am very leery in any sport uh, of uh, proclaiming winners and losers after a draft. I mean, I read those articles like everyone else sure. to get at someone's opinion. Uh, and I'm not going to stand here and say to you, I know more than the Boston scouting staff. Absolutely. Uh, when they, uh, you know, it, it seemed like they tried very, very hard to trade up to get Noah Hannafin from first with Arizona and then Carolina. And when that didn't happen and they stayed at 13, 14, and 15, I said, well, okay. They're going to probably take the best defenseman on the board, which is when we talked in the last uh, draft show, Mark, you brought up uh, Zaborov. So I said, I'm willing to bet he'll be one of the picks. And then I felt like, okay, still on the board is is Kyle Connor, sure. Travis Konecki, and Barzal. So I said, oh, okay, the two of those three guys will be taken. So they're going to walk away with three of those four. I said, that's a pretty big hole. That wouldn't, have been, wouldn't have been a bad look. <laughs> yeah. Then at 13, they took Zaboro. Like, okay, following script. And then they went off the board at 14 a little bit. And then there was some raised eyebrows on TSN. And then they did it again at 16. And then those raised eyebrows turned to criticism. Yeah. Uh, which set up the Griffin Reinhardt trade with the Islanders at 16, ironically. Uh, it's amazing how one domino can affect another. Absolutely. Um, I, but... I thought, uh, again, time will tell. But it seems like, not seems like, both of those guys, I believe, were ranked in the second round. Oh, I have that. We'll yeah, I have that right here. Their 14th pick, Jake DeBrusque, left winger. He was uh, ranked 28th overall. And the right okay, winger, right Zach, right Sinition, Jack, Zach, sorry, <laughs> Zach Sinition, uh 40th ranked skater overall. So... Just, just to the layman, like, like you said, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I know more than the Boston Bruins, but it, it's almost like when they failed to move up, um, they almost caught themselves unprepared there a little bit, and uh, say like they were trying to package Martin Jones. I heard um, to to entice a move up, and that didn't work. So the following day, they they did trade Martin Jones to San Jose, like we talked about. Just seems like, you know, if you if you want to take a lefty and a righty, uh, 
like you said, with Kyle Connor, Matthew Bartsall, and Travis Konechny sitting there on the boards. Correct, TSNs and Central Scouting has them ranked higher than the two players they did take. But, you know, they said, uh, you know, if there's someone on your board that you absolutely like and you absolutely love, you don't care what Craig Button says, you don't care what Bob McKenzie says, if your scouting staff is sitting there telling you to take them, you take them. And uh, you live and die with it. And I think that's what Boston ended up doing. Yeah, same thing with Dallas, right? They went off off the board, too. Yep. That guy, from what I read, he's going to be in the KHL for the next two years. But they feel like he's a potential sniper. Uh, And obviously, these teams, you know, I I don't know off the top of my head, Dallas, but Boston had plenty of picks in the second round. Obviously, they, they felt nervous that they didn't take them there. They would be gone by their picks. So even though they were ranked there, maybe they were... They were risers in the draft. Look, in Boston's case, I can see going off the board for one of them. Sure. Like I said, it, I was a bit surprised. But, it, you know, uh, Tom brought up a great point when we did the draft show. He said, uh, hey, wasn't Brett Hold like 180-some-odd player drafted? Just, and, yeah. You know, we talked about the last show. Lundquist was drafted in the seventh round. So, you know, as much as uh, these, as much as everyone in the league is so educated – with research and everything, and, you know, you just don't know. So I'm not going to kill the Bruins, although I will say that I have seen some big established hockey writers who uh, both on webcasts and and in articles say, you know, we've talked to other GMs in the league, and they were baffled too. So we'll see. I mean, Boston usually does a good job of drafting, but i got to give them, you know, I have to give them that. So yeah, I'm looking at out. I'm looking at their second round right now, and, and the, they did pick up Brandon Carlo, United States defenseman, who uh, actually had been projected to go a little bit higher than down at the 37th overall pick. Yeah, that, I So that's a good pick. That. That's a good pick for Boston right there. Um, just looking looking through a little bit. Did, did you get any farther into it, like towards the second round? Anything stand out to you, Chris? Um, Sometimes I slipped, like Carlo. That you know we're going to go late first or that twenty to thirty range, like Nick Merkley. Although he went in the first round, he was the last pick. Mm-hmm. In the first round, I thought it was a great pick by Arizona. Um, so I mean, one of the other points I had was this: like this draft is just seems so loaded. I I kept reading from so many different organizationals uh, perspectives saying, I can't believe this guy was on the board. Uh, be it it was third round, the fourth round or even the later rounds. The Islanders traded up uh, to get a defenseman named Pilon, bring back hmm. memories, uh, right. and the fifth round, and uh, they, they couldn't believe he had a third. I, I believe, I, I you know, I just saw his name and reading up about this draft, and it turns out it's his cousin, believe it or not. Um, hmm. But uh, I, he had a third-round grade, and he was still there on the board in the middle of the fifth round. So it seems like this draft will has the potential to be just really an all-time draft. There's another couple names out there that uh, they were they were talking about that in the same vein as like, wow, I can't believe he went. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets pick up left winger Paul Bittner at 38, right after Brandon Carlo. And then the last, yeah. last pick in the second round, uh, Toronto just seemed almost ecstatic with Jeremy Bracco. Uh, and I, he comes from up in your neck of the woods, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, he comes from Long Island. Yeah, yeah. he does. So, uh, they, they seem uh, real happy to get him at 61 overall. 
Yeah, that, and that was part of the Travis Konecki. That was the pick that they got for trading back. Although I did hear that they were not too thrilled because they traded back with the Flyers from 24, I believe, to 29. And the kid the Islanders took at 28 because they had the 33rd pick. And then they jumped up with Tampa. And the kid they took at uh, at, thir- at 28 right before the Leafs was Anthony uh, Bovier. And I did read that that's guy they Leafs wanted. At Is that right? Whether or not that's true or not. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, Bronco is from Long Island, yeah. So, uh, uh, Long Island representative at the draft. And then there's there's the first, we we got to talk about the first goalie overall. Uh, why not? Tom had said the Buffalo Sabres would take a goalie at 21, or Tim Murray had said don't be surprised if they do take one. And it turned out that they traded that pick for the goalie, and that you know, true to his word. But then right after that pick, which turned out to be Colin White, Ilya Samsonov goes to the Washington Capitals. Um, was, where where does he project out, Chris? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I thought Samsonov wasn't worthy being picked. And, you know, you know I am a big believer in picking the best players on the board with need. But having said that, Washington is a very established team. They need to get more depth at the board position on their main roster. I'm not going to swear to you. I know off the top of my head their pipeline on what kicks they have coming. But, you know, Brandon Holtby's in the prime of his career. 41 wins last year, sir. Yeah, so I don't, you know, considering, uh, I know Colin White was off the board, but there was a lot of good forwards um, available at 22. I was a little surprised by that. I I, kind of was just because of of the team, maybe not in the slot that it was taken, um, but by who took them, by who took them. Um, Knowing that Vancouver was trying to shop goaltenders, they were one pick back. Uh, I'm thinking they might have taken him at 23, which might have been a better fit. But uh, uh, who's just who's to say where all these? I mean, there's it's just so deep. We could go on and on and on about who got who, where, and and this and that. But I did want to touch on some of the other player movements here before we let you go. Um, heading heading into and out of the draft, uh, Oilers pick up their goalie. Talbot, they had to give up picks 57, 79, and 184. Um, another another New York Rangers move. Carl Hagelin goes off to the Ducks in exchange for Emerson Edom and the 41st pick overall, which turned into Ryan Gropp. What, uh, what does Rangers Nation think about that? Oh, uh, that one hurt. Um, <laughs> look, they, they, they added picks from the future. I, I, I mean... A lot of people around here, because uh, the Rangers kept demanding a very high price for Talpin, they wanted the, the, the for a while, granted, everyone's going to have a certain stance up until a certain point, but they wanted, um, I think in essence, they the 33rd pick of the Islanders got for Reinhardt, that's the pick they wanted for Talbot. That and, let's say, a fourth-round pick. And uh, they didn't get that. They wanted it, but to me, Cam Talbot, while very talented, has a small sample size, and is one year away from unrestricted free agency. So to land you know, a pick in this draft, granted, late in the second round, a mid-third round pick and a later pick, I think you got to be very happy with that. The Hacklin trade, that's a tough one to swallow. I mean, at the end of the day, as we spoke about last, uh, last podcast, 
I mentioned that the, the Rangers are one of those teams in the cap crunch. Carl Hagelin uh, is an RFA. He signs a one-year deal, which looks like what was heading with the Rangers. He would be a UFA after next year. He wanted a little over $4 million annually, um, which is what the going rate is for. And they couldn't afford it, cap-wise. So they, they moved him. Uh, both of them put the best deal that they could get. To me, they got a, you know another young player back in the pick. We'll see about the young player. Right now you have to say he's a depth player. But they, they lost one of their core players without getting a core player back. I mean, that is uh, not good. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, like I said, Carl they were under a cap crunch. And Carl Hagelin is a winning player. When you he look is. at his stats, you're not going to be blown away of – I think he had like 18 goals, 18 assists, but he just does a lot of things well. He's a winning player. He's was part of their core. And, again, to lose him, you know, again, we'll see what those picks turn out to be down the line. We'll see about the kid they picked up from the Ducks. You guys probably, uh, uh, Mark, you, Mark, you especially probably know a lot more about him, although it seems like he was a healthy scratch at times. He was. He's a big body. But he's, I, he's, a th- he's a third liner. He's, you know, he was, he was projected to be a lot a lot more skilled with the puck and around the net than he than he has turned out to be so far, and he is a young player. Um, Southern California bred, so maybe... And I, I don't think, uh, if I could bring Tom in on this, I don't think there's too much love lost in the New York area for one Emerson Eaton from maybe his time in juniors, Tom. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Not the borough, though, just Buffalo. I mean, the... Uh... The World Junior Tournament in Buffalo, and Emerson Edom is uh, obviously playing for Team USA. And he tweeted out that this town's horrible. There's nothing to do. It's cold. It's snow. It's, this town sucks, basically. So yeah, there's no there's no love lost for Emerson Edom here. But at, at that point, maybe you, maybe you guys will get to beat him up five or six times a year now that he's over in your side of the your side of the world there. Yeah, we're gonna see him a few times. Yeah, that's good. I think uh, I don't yeah, think they'll. That was, uh, that's, a, that's a tough loss for the Rangers to lose. Hagelin. It really is. I, I didn't think I, as much as they had cap problems, I didn't think that would uh, that would happen. I didn't I think did. he would be the guy to go either. And there was rumors Nash. They, I mean, to clear up the cap space, there was rumors Nash was going to a couple different places, but those I guess didn't materialize. Um, Tom, is there anything strike you? Just, I mean, I don't want to get it, get past July first because we'll do another we'll do another show on the unless you really want to get into anything that happened during free agency. We could touch on the Kessel thing if you like, but um, is there oh, any, yeah. anything anything from those first couple three days during or after the draft that you wanted to g- get Chris's opinion on? Yeah, no, I, I just um, yeah, no, I, I think yeah, I think the Brandon Saad. If you guys want to talk about that. That's a big deal. And, and or the Castle thing. I think both are the top two two deals here, right? Yeah, that's – uh, I think uh, let's just say impact-wise, and I'll, I'll – I got to break into my into my background notes here. The, the Saad deal, that's – I mean, that's a good look for Columbus. That's a real good look for Columbus. And – you know he was an RFA, so they, they had to move. And there's still rumors out there that Sharp is still going to have to move too. Although I haven't mer- heard much on the Patrick Sharp deal since 
since the Brandon Saw deal went down. Um, what do you think of that one, Chris? On the Saw deal? Yeah. Yeah, of course, everyone might be surprised. Um, I think uh, everyone figured that, um, you know, they would be moving other people, which I think they still are, because the Hawks are literally, I think, like 300000 uh under the cap as we speak. Yeah, I think they signed DeJordan that's winning for a million dollars. So, but and they still have some work to do. So I think Sharp will be moved. They're asking for too much. It's come. The price has come down, but it needs to come down more. And everyone knows they have to make a trade. Plus, there's been a plethora of other moves. So it seems like the market for Sharp might be Montreal, the Islanders. But um, in terms of the side deal, again, like Dougie Hamilton, the Hawks approached him, got into a long-term deal. They were a bit surprised with his aggressiveness of a number. Uh, he did not. Uh, he did not. Those two players did not show their organizations the love that Tyler Toffoli did to the Kings, mm. and uh, maybe also too those organizations when they saw what Toffoli signed for, that those guys would you know be similar, and and they were not. So uh, I think they kicked the tires and were able to find a trade partner with Columbus. Columbus has got a, a ton of young, talented forwards. They package them together. I think Anisimov will be. Uh, who's already signed an extension, will be uh, a tremendous third-line player for the Hawks. I always uh, liked Denise Moth. Yeah. Even back yeah. when he was with the he's Rangers, perfect. I really like his game. When he, he, I think he's still only 24, 25 years old, too, so he still has upside yeah, to go. He, he, yeah, he, that was... Uh, Marco Gano, I think, will be the key to that trade. Uh, all three of those young forwards that the Hawks got, I think two of those three will be in their roster on opening, on opening, na- on opening night. Uh, but I think looking at the three of them, I think from a Hulk perspective, Marco Dano is only 20 years old, uh, has the best chance to be a top six forward uh, with his ability. So that he will determine how that plays out for the Hawks. But no doubt, um, the, when going to get this trade, you also have to, you know, realize that there was a, you know a lot of salary cap motivation. And at the end of the day, when you got 30 percent of your cap. Uh, this year's cap tied into your top two players. Um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come uh, tough decisions going to be made down the line. Yeah, from they a, also Columbus Just one other note on the prospects they picked up. They had traded uh, Jeremy Morin to the Blue Jackets at the deadline, and they must be pretty high on him because they went ahead and brought him back in this deal. So right. out of, out oh, of the, I, didn't even two, try, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, two, two, of, two, of the th- well. yeah two of the three, uh, I, they, they really got to be high on Jeremy Morin uh, to get him included in that deal as well. Um, From a Columbus standpoint, the only negative I can come up with, first of all, so getting side, a two-time winner, 22 years old, um, you know, borderline first-line you know, player. I think it's going to be a dynamic duel with Johansson. Um, he'll be signing an extension this summer. You're already hearing in the six-year range of $6 million plus a year kind of, kind of numbers. The only negative I can come up with, uh, and they traded from depth, so all that is good, is as you guys know from last summer, um, it was very uh, cantankerous to, to, to be kind between the contract negotiations between Johansson and the Blue Jackets. And I'm sure Johansson will be a good soldier. I'm not. I'm not saying he'll be a problem. But he only signed a three-year deal last year, so he's two years away from being a free agent again. 
although I believe he'll be an RFA. And uh, he, he's going to say, okay, you paid stop that money. Now you're going to have to pay me a lot more than that. So, But that's a problem for another day. I mean, but that's the only thing I can uh, – and the only reason I bring it up is because the negotiations were so uh, – you know, that was in the mainstream media. Uh, yeah, so Lord knows what was happening behind the scenes. So uh, things got a little – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little hairy, a little testy, a little testy, a little testy. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> a little testy. So uh, you know, you know, you know. Again, players are people. They'll, they'll, he'll. You know, things get very testy. You find a four-year deal for twelve million, and now they bring in Saad, who hasn't done a thing for the organization. Spend you ten minutes, and they're going to give him, you know, a six-year deal. Let's say at six and a half, and you now people are like, oh, really? That's interesting. You know, I'm trying to help put this team on the map, and I had a fight for my three for 12. And, okay, I remember that, you know. Get ready to, you know, get ready to, to, to you know, write that check for me, you know. so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What do we What do we believe about What do we believe about hometown discounts, Tom? Uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> exactly. It is Gary Hughes. Don't yeah. know what that is. Don't know what a hometown discount is. Uh, these guys are <laughs> businessmen. They're... Uh, sure, yeah, I love my team. Everything's happy, but uh, you know, you're giving him six. I'm gonna get my six too. Uh, and yeah, th- there's a feeling of of disrespect and discredit when you bring in the the big free agent or trade for someone and then give them the big deal when you've been, you know, you're a prospect of them. You come up through there and you consider yourself uh, that that a you know a blue jacket, and then. You, you feel slighted. Well, it's gonna, you're going to pay me sooner. Or you're going to pay me later. But uh, I don't know what a hometown discount is. That's where that's where that's headed for sure. <laughs> I have a thought. I have a thought on the cancel trade, and this is for all NHL fans out there, including us. Is all NHL fans in, in the near immediate future are going to not only have to be experts uh, with players now, they're going to have to become capologists. Because the Castle trade should have taught everyone that based on his contract, just from a salary cap standpoint in terms of seven years left, $8 million a year, that the land, because of that, the landscape that it created of the interested teams um, and, what, and then what you could get back is all about the cap. And, uh, you know, and the Leafs are paying 15% of his salary every year for the next seven years. Yeah, it was like one point two million or something, right, Chris? Yeah. So, exactly. So everyone's going to have to. At the end of the day, they got two good prospects. Wait and see. Uh, they got two draft picks. One is a first rounder, but it's lottery protected. Unlike the San Jose Sharks pick for Martin Jones, the Penguins pick is lottery protected. So if they don't make the playoffs, I think the Leafs then get the Penguins pick in twenty seventeen. So but let's assume the Penguins will make the playoffs, although they still have their issues. Um, you know, so that will. They got two picks back. They got a first and a third, and they flipped the second. So a lot of people, a lot of Leafs fans, are like I can't believe what hockey fans are saying. I can't believe this still can get to Phil Kessel. It's all about the cap, and it seems like the Penguins were the only team that was, from what you read, pushing really hard for Kessel. I I love it. I. Mark and I were talking. We were just saying, you know, there's only 
off the top of my head, nine, ten legit goal scorers in this league. And I think Pittsburgh's got a third of them right now in the roster that could put the puck in the net. And I don't think I don't think that's a bad look at all. I think sometimes well, how, long, how long will that last? Because again, the, with the way the cap is crawling uh, every year, going up a million or two, and the way player salaries is rising, that trend continues. You know, going into next season, as of now, on the seventy-one. $24 million uh, cap ceiling. The Penguins have $38.25 million of their cap of five players. Crosby, huh. Falcon, Kessel, Latang, and Flory. I believe that is, I did the math, uh, 53%. So 53% of their cap is the five players of their 23-man roster. If the yeah. cap does not change... Like, if it doesn't go, like, if two years from now, the cap's not, like, $84 million. Or if, it, if it's going to crawl, it's going to go from 71-4 to 73 and 74, you know. Right. I don't know how long they'll be able to keep those. And then it will depend on the success that those players have. Well, I believe the players this year executed a clause in the CBA that forced the increase in the salary cap. And it was it, because of the Canadian dollar, it was actually projected to regress a little bit. And there was a player option, NHLPA option in the CBA that would allow them to force a certain percentage of increase this year, which otherwise I, the cap would not. So I don't, I I don't see that cap going forward uh, to the eighty million dollar range in the next two to three years, unless the Canadian dollar comes back and recovers. So the crawling forward, uh, that's a, probably a good way to describe what's going to happen. And on the other side of that too, uh, you notice the number of players that that Pittsburgh had to give up, not just in that deal, but as free agents that they could not afford to or chose not to sign. They lost uh, 10 players and two picks in one day to bring in basically Kessel. And Tim Erickson will make their roster too. But uh, Paul Martin, gone to San Jose. Steve Downey, gone to Arizona. Blake Como, gone to Colorado. Uh, And then some depth players, Daniel Winnick, Jason Magna, Taylor Chorney and Tomas Grice, which I believe you're familiar with now, uh, backup goaltender in the Islanders organization. Uh, But uh, you you go through, that's to get one player, and like you said, 53% of the cap hit going to five players, but then you also, uh, you not not only limit yourself in your NHL roster, but you've lost 10 players who could be in your AHL ranks. You know, your depth players are all gone now too. Um, I believe Carolina's owner had some choice words for their general manager and the 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 decision made to bring in Kessel. Uh, was the rebuttal to that even even his son left to go to Pittsburgh? So maybe maybe he shouldn't be talking. But uh, it's a very it's a very slippery slope. I think they're on there in Pittsburgh. That's another it's another win now piece though. If Flurry can hold on to the fort um, on the back end. Uh, I put the over and under on on Kessel, Crosby, and Malkin between the three of them splitting 110 goals. Uh, you go two 40 goal scorers and a 30 goal scorer with 60 or 70 assists, depending on who's playing where. Well, well, um, that's some offense. Those five players, those five players better not get hurt. 
Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, sure. Take take one more concussion to Sidney Crosby, and uh, you're in cap. I can't use the word. This is a non-explicit yeah. podcast, but we all know what where, which way they would be headed if Crosby takes one more hit to the head. Yeah, no, that's, uh, like I said, there's no safety net when you, when you have that many, much money tied up with five players. But, um, so, we see, uh, you know, a lot of the Eastern teams got a lot better. So, it'll be interesting to see uh, going forward. It's gonna, and there's still more moves to come, I believe. Oh, yeah. There's still a few players out there, be it trade or be it free agents that can help teams. There's two or three really. Here, you know, they, Two or three really solid uh, yeah. defensemen still on the list. Uh, I see Johnny Oduya is still sitting out there, wait, wait, ready for someone to pick up. Um, well, there's a, there's a rumor going on that the Hawks are trying to move Sharp, so then they can sign Oduya. Is that maybe what oh. he's waiting for? That's that's the rumor, um, but you know the Sharp market has kind of closed up because you know the cap signed Justin Williams. They yep. traded for T.J. Oshie. Um, you know, the Bruins were in on Sharp, and they signed Bolesky, and they made a couple of trades. They made a trade with Florida to get Jimmy Hayes. Um, so Florida's made a couple of moves as well. They were a team interested in Sharp. So it seems like right now both the Canadians and the Islanders, the Canadians really need a center um, more than a winger, but they're, they're interested uh, to what degree. We don't know. And uh, but and the asking price, at least until recently, although it's come down, is still a little too high for those teams liking. But the Hawks are going to have to move them. But something might give on that very shortly, simply because I don't think Johnny Cuyo is going to be waiting around for a couple weeks. He's no, I agree. Saying, you know, hey, yeah. uh, there's a rumor that he has a, a really a very good offer on the table, but I think he would like to go back to Chicago, if all things being equal. But Sharp's got to be moved. Well, one one more deal before we let you go, Chris. And uh, it's not very often that a team is fortunate enough to add a Hall of Fame defenseman to their roster. <laughs> and Arizona, Arizona brings in Chris Pronger. Now, uh, that's an amazing steal for the desert-dwelling Coyotes, sir. I mean, how, how often do you get the chance to bring in a Hall of Famer? Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to go there. I had to go there. That left you speechless, did I? <laughs> no, I mean, hey, look, you want to blame someone, you gotta, you can blame the Islanders, although they did it for a different reason. The Islanders, a couple years ago, during their rebuild, traded from Tim Thomas with the MIA with the Bruins, but was on their cap. And the reason that the Islanders did it was um, they were a little bit above the cap floor because they had a lot of young players. and But they had a couple of guys that other, other teams were interested in. And if by the trading deadline a certain deal came up, that could be a real big future win for the Islanders. They made that trade, and they, they may not have been able to make the trade because of the cap because they would fall under the floor. So the whole reason of, cause they, of making that Tim Thomas move was Let's get his salary. They literally gave up nothing for him. They gave up a seventh-round pick, but if he failed to report, which he did, they wouldn't have to give it up. But he counted against the cap. They, ironically, they did not wind up making any trades. Um, 
it didn't it didn't work out. But they wanted to be in position if the opportunity came, they could do it. In the Arizona case, at least at present time, it looks like they're going to use that 4.9 million uh, for the whole season. You know, because uh, both the uh, Savard who was traded, as well as Pronger, these teams have to have them on their cap during the off season, and then right before the season is set, they can move them to the long term disability if they so choose. But uh, I don't think Arizona's going to do that. I don't either. What would be the point? It's only a million dollars, and or you know, you only it, when you're on long term injured reserve, you you get some relief, but not a hundred percent relief. Um, and that's part of what handcuffed the Kings last year early in the season before the NHL allowed them to place uh, Slava Voinov on long-term injured reserve. We still absorbed, they still absorbed uh, a percentage of that cap hit, but they did finally get relief and were able to add a player to their, their 25-man roster. Um, the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole thing, and we, Tom and I were talking about this, I, I really don't like this, and I think in the next CBA, it should be addressed. He is an employee of the NHL right now, but they're leaving it. The, he, yeah, he actually works for the National Hockey League, and his contract is still active um, and able to be traded as a cap commodity where you don't even have to bring a player in. You just you know fax me a piece of paper, and now I'm at the cap floor. It's, it's just, it just strikes me as wrong. Yeah, yeah, and just and elected the Hall of Fame, which means he hasn't been in the league for three years. Hasn't even been around for three years, working for the NHL, and you can acquire his contract to circumvent the cap floor. It just doesn't it just doesn't strike me as right. There's a job there if we want to go union labor. The uh there's a job there that another player could be taken up. You if if you want to make them pay a player four point five million dollars, which I believe whatever his cap hit's going to be that you said, Chris. Um, there's a there's a person out of a job because Arizona is holding that contract, and I, I was only half joking with Tom that Mr. LeBlanc should give Chris a call and say, "Okay, when are you coming down for your physical, buddy?" Uh, and, and force the issue. I'm not sure of his age, but if he's over 35, you could make him retire with no cap recapture penalties if if that was your goal. Uh, you just call him up, bring him down for the physical. Um, and then as we see with Mike Richards, if he doesn't show up, it's a material breach, and you terminate the deal right out from under him, and then he can go off to the Hall of Fame and work for the National Hockey League. But th- my opinion only, and uh, we're on record saying that I'm just an idiot who's having fun talking hockey here, uh, I don't like those, and the Mark Savard to Florida thing too, just don't like the flavor those deals leave in my mouth. Uh, Tom, you get well, also too. Last point is, uh, you know, what are you sending as a message to your fan base? I mean, how am I going to go out and spend my hard-earned money? And like, clearly, I don't know how you guys feel, but I find it hard to believe that Arizona is not going to be the worst team by far in the league next year. Uh, how am I, you know, and you're, that's what you're doing to to make the cap floor, which I think they're at now, or just about at. They brought for a met back. They brought back the defenseman. Oh, what's his name? He was with Jersey in the Red Wings last year. So they made a couple of signings of three, yeah. you know, Steve County, like, you know, those yeah. kind of moves. They're going to be awful next year. You know, so, yeah. Uh, they're just going to have to hope that the ping pong balls don't, don't uh, you know, uh, they're either going to pick one or one, two, three, or four. The ping pong balls don't uh, mess them up. 
and have them fall all the way to four because uh, we have the new lottery system next year. But that's, again, that's for another day. But they're going to be so bad next year. I mean, Nicholas Grossman was the guy. Nicholas Grossman? Yeah, he, he signed for one more deal, one more year, right? Oh, there you go. So, right. They're going to be, so, be so bad next year. It, it's really it's going to be tough to watch. Cause I don't know if Dylan Strong's going to be ready. I mean, they'll have to play the house, tell me, but uh, they're going to be a tough team, tough team to watch. I mean, Edmonton got better. They still have some work to do. They gave out a ridiculous contract as well. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, the bottom three is probably Arizona, and then it's going to be – Arizona, New Jersey, Toronto, and Carolina probably bottom four. Well, the other piece that went yeah. went to Philly in that trade was Sam Gagne, and he's carrying yep. a four point eight million dollars salary too. So, if you're just swapping cap numbers to get up, I mean, Nicholas Grossman might be. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with the player, but if if you're sending a bona fide uh, National Hockey League centerman the other way, who's making the same cap hit as Pro- as Pronger's contract. You almost have to be a lawyer uh, to understand the NHL now, but sure. am I wrong in saying that the Flyers couldn't buy out Pronger, but they can buy out Kanye? I just... I, yeah, I, I, that's, that's what they're doing, yeah. yeah. No, I just looked at this right now, and it says... Uh, and they have less of a cap hit or something. There must be a cap benefit. Well, it says Flyers plan to keep Gagne, may move him to wing. And that's reported the Philadelphia Daily News this morning, okay. is that Gagne and is going to stick. Year, right? uh, I believe Gagne that's correct. Time. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, from, not, from I mean, Arizona's... Kind of moves, Go ahead. Uh, those kind of moves don't really make sense for any NHL fan. But, uh, you know, outside of, I feel bad for... Uh, Coyote fans, it, it just doesn't feel right. And if that's your team doing it, you know, they made a big statement in June saying, "Well, you know, we're we're going to be making moves. So we, our, you know, our goal is to really improve the team." And and they're playing, you know, they're doing patchwork. Yeah, make, what they're doing. Yeah, making moves. That were they talking about the New York Post report that they're moving to Las Vegas? Is that maybe that's what they were referring to? But Vegas is going to get their own franchise, right? They're not going to get another. No, there was a, there was a New York there was a New York Post report two days ago, I think, that they cited sources close to the negotiations that uh, Bettman's brokering the deal between LeBlanc and Mister Foley to purchase the Coyotes and then relocate them here for next season, even playing in the MGM Grand temporarily until the arena's fixed or finished. I should say uh, that that. Uh, that story has been refuted and almost, I don't want to use the phrase debunked, but everybody pretty much uh, piled on and said, yeah, right, whatever. But, uh, the, you I'll, know. I'll give you, I'll, give you I'll give you 500 million reasons why that won't happen. There you go. That was my response okay. to it as well. <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to so put that means, to it. So that means no expansion money to the league from Las Vegas. So that's Correct. not happening. Correct. Unless you have a, they can move Arizona to Quebec tomorrow if they want. The uh, the only thing where unless uh, I I know Seattle is is uh, put and our next guest here on the show will be joining us in about seven minutes six minutes. Uh, our next guest will be the Paul Rogers from Seattle Sinbin is going to join us and talk about the Seattle expansion bid and 
so if you have Seattle and then maybe another city that no isn't really public yet, like say Kansas City or even a Portland is going to put in a bid, then they can afford to relocate Arizona to Vegas. They still get their billion dollar uh, franchise fees. They still balance the conferences, and then you have three new cities and three new TV deals uh, that have to go into the revenue sharing pot as well. So that would be, a, and then you could always move Florida to Quebec City if the Panthers franchise isn't going to work out down there. And then now you have well, four that's cities. That's question for me, and then I'll let you guys go to the next podcast. Because um, you're in that part of the country a lot more than I. Um, do you think there's a team in Seattle? I mean, I don't know. The Pacific Northwest, is there just a bunch of people dying for an NHL franchise? Or is that kind of, how do you guys feel about that? Well, your boy Matthew Bartzall, you guys took uh, their 16th overall, played for the Seattle franchise uh, in the WHL, and they do very okay. well. They do very well drawing. Oh, they um, oh, yeah, and they're a built-in rivalry there with Vancouver. Um, you have another free freeway face-off going up just for, uh, just you know right across the border into Vancouver. Um, the anybody who wants to. Uh, find out more about the Seattle hockey market can follow the, the Seattle sin bin at Seattle sin bin on Twitter and also uh, do a, do a search on their podcast. Cause Otto and Paul, we were, we were on their show last week talking a little bit and those, they know what's going on up there. Paul's going to be talking about the uh, arena deal. Tuckwilla is the alternate arena that, is privately funded as opposed to Chris Hansen's Soto Arena, which is still waiting on public financing to be approved. Um, it looks like Tuckwilla has taken the lead in the expansion race there, and that's uh, we're going to get into more of that with him here in a couple minutes. But I, I believe that Seattle would be a great market for hockey. Um, they have a history of okay. it. They, they were the first American team with their name on the Stanley Cup, as a matter of fact, for a, a little trivia, oh. little snippet there. Uh, so I think I think it's a viable market. They're, the problem is they don't have an ownership group and they don't have an arena. Um, That's a problem. <laughs> and, and I don't I don't like saying that because we're on record as saying we hope that that uh, Seattle does get a franchise and that we go in together or stagger it apart one year or so while they get their arena finished up. And uh, it'd be it'd be great to be sister cities there with Seattle as uh, joining the National Hockey League. Um, it's I don't want to. Well, I, you can tell Paul you can tell Paul Rogers uh, we're very happy to have uh, Matthew Barzell coming to Long Island. We'll take good care of him. We will do that, Chris. And again, we'll set up a time to get with you next week as we look back at the final remnants of the free agency. Uh, for the and there, there's so much more. Patrick Sharp will be an Islander by the next time. Next time we speak, there's so much more to get into. We just didn't have time to get into it today. Um, but we will we will we'll be in touch again, Chris. Tell them where they can find your blogs at. Uh, you can find it at, at the Hockey Writers. Dot com and of course at getrealhockey.com I have a new uh, up on the site on Get Real Hockey yesterday is a new article called uh, July 1st NHL Moving Day and for you Islander fans uh, by the time you hear this podcast there should be a new article on the Islanders at the Hockey Writers but there's so much great content uh, besides myself for both sites uh, such as the Vegas Hockey Guys and on and on and on so 
check out both sites. If you're a, if you're a hockey junkie, you'll love both sites. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for coming on again today. We appreciate having you on always, and we'll look forward to doing it again in the future when we round up the rest of this free agent frenzy that's going on right now. Chris, thank you so much for joining the show. You got it, guys. Talk soon and be well. Okay, same to you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Another great show there with Chris. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. And there we go. Another great session of the podcast with Chris Lietza from thehockeywriters.com. We covered a lot of ground, and we're ready to get this off and get it out. So everybody have a happy 4th of July weekend, a belated Canada Day, and we're gone. (laughs) 